1: Welcome to Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut. Um, as uh, most of you who listen to the show regularly know by now, uh, we do the show live at nine o'clock and repeat it again at two. Today we're coming to you live at two o'clock for a variety of reasons. Of one of which is that uh, the funeral service for Johnny Isaacson has just gotten underway at Peachtree Road United Methodist Church. Um, Mitch McConnell, the Senate minority leader, is expected to give a eulogy. Uh, so is Saks Beach His three children, Johnny Isaacson's three children, were scheduled to speak. And we'll be p- keeping track of that service as it goes along and, and bring you uh, uh, parts of it if we can. Um, but, but the other reason we're coming to you live is that... It was one year ago today that we did a special live 2 o'clock edition of this show, and we scheduled it back then because we wanted to be able to update the numbers on the special runoff election for the United States Senate, which had taken place the day before. Votes were still being counted, and we knew that at 2 o'clock, things would have changed that we wanted to report to you. Um, And so we thought a year later it's appropriate uh, on the day that the insurrection took place, which ended up dominating our show that day, that we'd be live today. So let me introduce the panel, and we'll start our conversation today. Um, Kevin Riley joins us every Thursday. He's the editor of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, and we're very pleased, Kevin, that you, who, uh, with your very busy schedule, were able to change your plans and be with us today. Thank you, Kevin.
2: It's great to be here, uh, Bill, especially on such an a important anniversary, uh, and we've got an awful lot to talk about.
1: Yes, we do. Uh, Donna Lowry, who is host of Lawmakers and is getting set to start Lawmakers next Monday when the legislative session begins, is down at the Capitol today getting some preps done. Uh, and Donna, you've joined us from down there. Thank you for being with us.
0: Well, I'm glad to be here Bill. I think it's an important it's important that you're doing this live show today. Thank you for doing it and thank you for inviting me.
1: Absolutely. Leo Smith, a Republican political consultant. He's the president of Engaged Futures, a government affairs organization. Uh, but also Leo's been doing work on democracy efforts with the Carter Center. And Leo, thank you for being with us. Uh, president Jimmy Carter issued a strong warning in an op-ed for the New York Times about what he thinks is happening to the unraveling of our democracy. And we're going to talk about what he had to say in a few minutes. But welcome, Leo. uh,
3: I'm humbled to be here on this day. Thank you.
1: And Jim Galloway is uh, giving up a Thursday afternoon to be with us. You all know Jim, former political columnist for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Jim just when you think you're getting out, you're drawn back in because there's so much news to talk about this afternoon. <clears throat> yeah,
4: you know, and I, I feel like I, I did a year ago. I started watching uh, uh, what was unfolding in the Capitol, and I just put my pen down. I stopped at the keyboard. I just couldn't do anything but watch.
1: Well, um, thank you for uh, giving me an opportunity to transition to how I'd like to start our conversation. One year ago this afternoon, as I said, we were beginning a live show in which we expected the conversation would be about how the election returns uh, in the Senate race, Senate runoff race were unfolding. But just as we were going on the air, just a little after two, (coughs) we got the first bulletins saying that there was a crowd gathering, an angry crowd gathering, outside the U.S. Capitol moving toward the building itself. And throughout the show, we um, updated what was going on to the point that we turned our attention almost entirely to talking about the events in Washington— Um, Tamar Hallerman was on the show that afternoon. Fred Smith from Emory was on the show. Amy Steigerwald. But I want to take you back. I'm going to play you three separate sound bites that unfolded. One, pretty much close to the top of the show at 2.06. The next, about 10 or 12 minutes later. And then by halfway through the show, we realized how serious this was. We're going to listen to all those back-to-back and then talk about the events. We are now watching... Uh, in Washington, mobs of people, protesters, pro-Trump protesters, who are attacking the barricades that have been set up at the U.S. Capitol. They are clashing with Capitol Police, and I assume other uh, law enforcement from other branches, uh, who are trying to fend them off. The Capitol, some uh, sections of the Capitol are being evacuated. Amelia just sent me a tweet that came from someone who is in the Capitol right now who says, and has a photograph of it, protesters have now breached the United States Capitol. They are outside the Senate chamber. Now, from the photograph, we can't see how many there are. But the fact that protesters are now in the U.S. Capitol at the doors of the Senate is a staggering Notion that suddenly makes us feel like we're living in a dystopian nightmare. All right, uh, Tamar, uh, let me t- uh, just give you some. Uh, uh, there's a, another development. There is a further escalation. Um, okay. uh, our good friend and your colleague, Tia Mitchell, your Washington correspondent, ha- is at the Capitol. She just tweeted that members of Congress are now putting on gas masks. So are members of the media. Tear gas has been dispensed in the rotunda tomorrow, in the rotunda of the United States Capitol. This is oh my God. heartbreaking and terrifying.
0: Oh my God, yeah, that is terrifying. Um, you know, that's the, uh, I'm sorry, I don't even have words right now. There's so much going through my head. I know that right now the chambers are, are kind of locked. You know, House and Senate members are locked in their respective chambers along with the media. But until all of this gets dispersed, they're not going to be able to continue with this counting of the, uh, the certification of the electoral college votes because eventually the Senate is going to have to cross through the rotunda into the House. So protesters are getting what they want. They're, they're pausing um, the certification of these results and it's um, terrifying what is happening. <sighs>
1: Kevin Riley, that was one year ago today, right here on Political Rewind. And for throughout the day, the protesters got what they wanted. They were able to shut down the certification of the vote, but um, but Congress refused to let that uh, 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 go on much longer than it had to. And that night, they came back in, certified the election, Kevin. And so the insurrection, uh, at least at that day, on that day, was put down. But it, Kevin, truly, one of the darkest days in modern American history.
2: Yeah, you're right, Bill. And uh, what was uh, you know ambitious, uh, a routinely ambitious show of yours turned into a. Uh, uh, a very dark uh breaking news event um i, I can't help myself um you mentioned uh it, it, those sound uh, those uh, sound bites mentioned tia mitchell our washington correspondent i mean that was our first thought is jim galloway uh would um i'm sure add some uh information to we wanted to make sure tia was okay she was in the house chamber and fortunately she was texting us and she kept us uh, apprised of what was going on, and eventually she was evacuated along with uh, members of the House to a, uh, to a safe location. But there was just so much going on that day that it, it took literally, I feel like, even still uh, this whole year to understand what a terrible, horrible thing happened that day.
1: Um, Jim, we we in fact invited Tia to join us to talk about that day, but she's at she's on her job. She's covering a news conference uh, right about now, and so couldn't join us. But but Jim, your thoughts as you reflect back.
4: Well, I, I will tell just to, to to build on what Kevin was said. It, it, it's taken us so long to understand what this was all about, and what we're finding now, and what the the January sixth House Committee is 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 is. Is kind of uh, slowly, kind of leaking out. Is is how 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 much planning went into this event, that this was this was not a spur of the moment. This did not happen. This did not happen uh, uh, impromptu after after Trump's speech in the, in the ellipse. This this was something. This was something that uh, that was that was well planned. That was orchestrated among many many people, and we're just now finding out who and who who was behind it.
1: Yes. And, and uh, Donna, of course, the the reality is that um, the big lie which sparked this entire uh, protest, whether you believe President Trump in the time encouraged people to break into the Capitol is, is another question. But certainly the big lie was what inspired the anger of these rioters. Um, And it continues to this day, Donna. It has not gone away. If anything, it has grown more powerful and is being supported by um, more and more Republicans who initially tried to distance themselves from the big lie.
0: Yeah. And the the interesting thing is we in Georgia were just uh, as reporters looking at what was happening here. We had the two Senate races. As you said, the reason you went to two o'clock live that day was because of that. So I remember my first hearing about it thinking it couldn't. I didn't. I wasn't near a television. I was thinking it couldn't have been that bad until I saw everything because I was so focused on what we were doing in Georgia. Then recognizing that was what was taking place in Washington was much, much more serious. The I'm at the Capitol right now, as you mentioned. And earlier today, Speaker Ralston spoke. And of course, we asked him about today. And he he, he talked about he started off saying there are people certainly who went to Washington that day that were good people. Uh, but he, and he said he didn't include them. And he respects the fact that they went that day for lawful reasons. But he said that that the, there were people there who went who are criminals, in his view, and he said they are being prosecuted, and he was happy to know that that was taking place. So I know that, that Jim just talked about all that we're learning right now about what went into it, but I, it has been listening to this over the last few months, what has come out of the committee, where I've realized how really, like everybody else organized, they were when I... At first, I thought it was just one of those rallies that went out of control. But obviously, there was so much more to it, we're finding out.
1: Leo?
3: Yeah, it disappoints me to say that, you know, being embedded as part of the Republican Party, being an executive with the Republican Party, traveling as a delegate and with um, the team and coordinating media interviews at the 2016 RNC convention for the state of Georgia, you know, these things – I, I hate to say it, but I wasn't surprised by the January 6th riot, and I think a lot of people were, you know, they're taken aback, um, but they weren't surprised. And, and I'm reminded by a post I made in 2000, like five years ago. I made a post about failed democracy. This, these were Republican feelings, and so this angst, this movement was it was boiling. And again, speaking of the Carter Center and Jimmy President Jimmy Carter's letter and op-ed that he's put out there, I think that if he had had his analysts that he'd worked with across the globe, map over the United States, the social and political conditions that would predict this, I mean, those maps would look the same as a lot of disrupted democracies in other countries.
4: Yeah, uh, Bill, Bill, if I could just kind of... uh, uh... Tie the uh, two events of today together. Uh, well, first of all, I do want to acknowledge that you know you've you've on the Republican side you do have some recognition building uh, recognition that that uh, that 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 you have a, a a faction of the GOP that's gone off off the rails and needs to be brought in. I mean, uh, uh, this this uh, this uh, uh, broadcast was to be followed by a five p.m. Uh, Press conference by Donald Trump. He's canceled that. Uh, the Cobb County GOP was going to have a a, a prayer session for the, the for the what they call the J six Patriots, the people uh, incarcerated because of this riot. That was canceled too. Uh, it, uh, you had Carl Rove in the Wall Street Journal today of, uh, condemning the entire January six enterprise, uh, and. I, I just got to mention we are today we are having a memorial service for Johnny Isaacson, uh, who 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 kind of epitomized the Republican effort to build a, a, a bipartisan bridges. Uh, the, the important thing I think it, it, the uh, the service is ongoing right now, uh, and, and as you said, Mitch McConnell is supposed to be uh, is, is is supposed to be a speaker speaker here, but I think the, the, today. Just for the first time, I, I would say the most important thing about Johnny Isaacson is that he lost. He lost twice, and he lost big. <laughs> he lost a gubernatorial election in nineteen ninety. He he couldn't even make it out of a party primary in ninety six, and he didn't condemn the the opponent. He he I, I'm absolutely positive he called in and congratulated them, and he moved <laughs> on, and he revived his career with the help. Of some outreach to to uh, by Democrats, Zell Miller in particular. Yeah. It is it, it, it's, yeah. it's a it's a it's a it's a Republican Party that we sorely miss today.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's right. By the way, one of the one of the state one of the things Carl Rove said in that Wall Street Journal uh, piece that you referenced is this: I've been a Republican my entire life and believe in what the Republican Party at its best has represented for decades there can be no soft peddling what happened talking about January 6 and no absolution for those who planned encouraged and aided that the attempt to overthrow our democracy love of country demands nothing less that's true patriotism that's his message to republicans and of course carl rove Was one of the single most important political uh, consultants and uh, advisors to Republican presidents, uh, George W. Bush particularly. Kevin, excuse me, Kevin, uh, we also know that Jimmy Carter wrote a powerful and I think what might be an unprecedented op ed condemning the attempts to. to uh, retell the story of January 6th, to describe it as a peaceful gathering, as an Andrew Clyde, uh, Georgia Republican congressman, has tried to do. And Kevin, let me just read, uh, if, because it's important, a few words from the piece that Carter uh, published in the New York Times today. Um, he said that initially after the uh, riot was over uh, that there was a brief hope the insurrection would shock the nation into addressing the toxic polarization that threatens our democracy. However, one year on, promoters of the lie that the election was stolen have taken over one political party and stoked distrust in our electoral systems. These forces exert power and influence through relentless disinformation, which continues to turn Americans against Americans. Uh, Kevin, Astonishing for a former president of the United States to then say, go on to say, that he thinks that our institutions, that democracy, are unraveling with, as he calls it, breathtaking speed. Kevin? Kevin, I think we've lost your audio. Leo, we're going to get Kevin's audio back, but jump in um, with with what you, how you react to what uh, the former president had to say.
3: Yeah, there are a couple of things that's breathtaking to me about Jimmy Carter's op-ed and his commitment to this issue. Um, One is that, you know, there's a lot of things that uh, he, being a very interesting and colorful person, from his Bible study teaching to his painting uh, that he's really into, that you hear these stories about him, And yet we know the hard work that analysts, um, peacemakers uh, have done across the world, creating democracy, that for him to say what he's saying about America right now, that's really powerful. And that's what's moving to me, that a president, not just being a president, but the experience he has working on disrupted democracy, this just speaks just volumes.
4: Jim? Yeah, and and, and, uh, – this you have to look at at this uh, kind of nationally. This is Carter's Carter's uh, op-ed piece in the in the New York Times. I don't think they call it an op-ed op-eds anymore, uh, but his piece in the New York Times was followed just hours later by this by 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 this very impressive speech by Joe Biden in the U.S. Capitol where the riot had occurred, and it was his first. His it was his strongest take on 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 Donald Trump's participation in this uh, to date. Even though he, even though he didn't mention the ex president by name, uh, but he 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 made he, he made many of the same points that Jimmy Carter did. Uh, that that uh, I, I I but I, I think a little more flamboyantly. I mean, I think he said the writers had put a, a dagger at the throat of American democracy, uh, uh, which is f- much further than Carter went. But still. Uh, you had a former president and a current president uh, saying that saying that that uh, that the future of America was on the brink, and that that's quite frightening.
1: Yeah, it, it's very frightening, Donna. Uh, I think we have to look at the state capitol where you're coming to us uh, from today, and and point out that um, just this weekend, the Atlanta Journal Constitution published a really powerful and comprehensive look at the events that uh, uh, preceded the insurrection and how Republicans have dealt with the big lie even in the months after the insurrection. And Donna, one of the things that that article reminds us of is that there are Georgia legislators who back then and to this day continue to uh uh support this theory that the election was stolen. You've got Brandon Beach, who used to be considered a moderate Republican, a guy who knew how to work across the aisle for the best interests of business in the state. Uh you've got Burt Jones running for lieutenant governor in the state senate. Uh, who continues to per- perpetrate this notion of a big lie? William Ligon, who's now uh, stepping down, but nevertheless has been a big force in promoting the big lie, and Congressman Jody Heiss, now uh, uh, running for a state office, all of them, among others, who kept perpetuating the big lie, Donna.
0: Yes, and uh, you didn't mention Vernon Jones, who had a press conference here yesterday. Uh, who is running for a governor? So he will be down here. Also, be um, I, we're expecting him to be down here a lot. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see how this session navigates all of that. Um, and you know, the the speaker today said he really didn't have the stomach for basically. Um, I forget how he said it, but basically trivial stuff, right? Um, and I don't know how he is going to, to view it in, on on the House side. Um, but I, as you know, Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan on the Senate side is absolutely still in, in favor of making sure everybody knows that it was a big lie. And in his press conference yesterday, reiterated the fact that there was no fraud. So it, so you're going to have these two different allegiances down here on the Republican side. Um, and I have a feeling, as we saw what, during the special session, that the Democrats are just kind of kind of pull back for a while and kind of watch what's happening within the Republican uh, party down here in terms of this, this one issue.-
1: uh, And Kevin, we're going to see, of course, this play out in the primary campaign between Brian Kemp and David Perdue. David Perdue said right as he announced for his challenge Of Brian Kemp. He said he would never have certified the Georgia election. Brian Kemp as recently as this week in an interview with Axios Atlanta said he stands by his condemnation of the January 6th insurrection and stands by uh, his uh, uh, inability. He stands by the fact that he couldn't intervene and try to elect a new uh, to appoint a new slate of electors. Um, And you're going to see this playing out in that gubernatorial primary.
2: Absolutely, Bill. I mean, I, I was afraid we were going to overlook that. But I mean, you could say that David Perdue has that was the opening the way he opened his campaign. I mean, he said, I, you know, and he's he's sought to relitigate a number of these things that have already been resolved in Georgia. It's an astounding, just an absolutely astounding development that Georgia's Republican pro- Party is is dominated by people who have taken this point of view. I'll tell you what, let's do this. Let's
1: take our first break of the show. When we come back, we'll talk more about the insurrection. We'll play some sound from uh, President Biden's uh, speech uh, this morning. And then, Leo Smith, we're going to bring you in here. We we need to get a Republican point of view on just what you think is going to uh, bring Republicans back to the table as a party that is not driven by conspiracy theories. Uh, by the way, the service for uh, Johnny Isaacson is underway. Uh, his sons, uh, Kevin, and uh, uh, Kevin already spoke. John Isaacson is speaking. Now his daughter, Julie, will be up in a few minutes. And so will uh, Mitch McConnell, Minority Leader McConnell, and Saxby Chambliss. Peace United Methodist Church is fairly full. Uh, Because there are a great many people who want to pay their respects to a man who they truly did love, um, which is uh, unfortunately increasingly rare in the way we deal with politics today. You're listening to Political Rewind. We'll be right back. Kevin Riley, Donna Lowry, Jim Galloway, Leo Smith join us today for Political Rewind. We're really taking on two stories in our special live 2 p.m. broadcast today. One is talking about the insurrection one year later, the other is we're following the funeral services for Johnny Isaacson taking place right now at P.C. Road United Methodist Church. During the break, I tuned in a little bit to his daughter, Julie who said when people asked what it was like to be uh, the daughter of Johnny Isaacson and and who he was as a leader, she said, I just knew him as dad, the guy who used to let me beat him on vacation in made-up card games. Um, We'll see if we can find time to uh, tune into a little of that service uh, during the show today. Um, Let's listen To uh, Joe Biden, a little bit of President Biden, he was very strong, as we've already said, in his condemnation of President Trump. For the first time, I think, drew a very, very hard line uh, uh, connecting the insurrection to Donald Trump. Let's listen to uh, just one of the comments he made.
3: The former president of the United States of America has created and spread a web of lies about the 2020 election. He's done so because he values power over principle, because he sees his own interest as more important than his country's interest, than America's interest, and because his bruised ego matters more to him than our democracy or our constitution. He
2: can't accept he lost. Kevin Riley, It's an amazing thing to have a president go to the Capitol Rotunda, and feel compelled to say the things that President Biden said today. The language that he used was extremely strong and and not in any way compromising. And, you know, in our tradition, uh, former presidents uh, uh, show a lot of deference to the current president, and current presidents show a lot of deference to the former president. And uh, to this point, uh, I think Biden had been reserved in his comments. You could argue that he'd been reserved in his comments about former President Trump, but he really cut loose today. Leo, weigh in on this.
3: Well, I mean, you I, I think that I am I, sort of stunned by the, the question of what are the Republicans want? And I really want to get to that really quickly because I think it's really important. I think it would be – we would be missing some of the point if we don't acknowledge that Republicans had a lot of concerns before Donald Trump. Um, And those concerns were expressed. I mean, you remember um, even Brad Raffensperger presented a piece of legislation to walk alongside counties that were having trouble managing and uh, doing the professional work of elections. That was before the election, before January 6th. And and so I I think it's important, one of the solutions that we have in order to get Republicans to act in a pro-democracy way is to really focus on democracy. Both sides need to focus on, how do we make better democracy? Not to say to Republicans, there was no fraud. Well, there is fraud in elections, um, there was not enough fraud to overturn the election. But from a Republican perspective, I think it's important to hear Republicans, conservatives, say that they have concerns about the way democracy was going, even before Trump. And that's not just Republicans. According to Pew research, lots of people have concerns about democracy, um, and which way it's going. So we need to have a discussion in America on how to make democracy better, how to make it more resilient. And I think when you do that in an honest way, you'll get to some of these fears that Republicans have, including, yes, the racialized fear of um, the party is largely dominated by white Americans who fear that things are changing so quickly and, in part, this political um, nonsense that is going on amongst the Republican Party is really a fear of white people and a way of life.
1: Uh, Jim, I, I'm going to let you weigh in, but let me just respond to something Leo said and let you uh, also comment. Um, it's one thing to say that there have been concerns about the, the increasing toxicity of American politics, which has been going on for quite some time. Some people say it goes back to Newt Gingrich and his ascendance as a leader of uh, the George, the U.S. House. But but it's another thing to talk about the big lie and the overt Efforts to uh, uh, give dis- make disinformation the centerpiece of how you fight against the other side. But Jim, go ahead with what whatever comments you want to add to this.
4: Yeah, look, I, I will. You know, I I agree with Leo, and then I and I and I think at the, at bottom, what this is, this is a we are struggling to create a multiracial democracy where everyone is 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 allowed to participate. You have a a, a white dominated GOP that that that. Doesn't see the future uh, 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 in, in in very good terms in its current iteration. It needs to change. But that being said, you don't you don't solve this problem by claiming that there are thousands and thousands of dead people voting in Georgia, and then when we find out that oh, it was only four people, and their ballots were cast by their by their by their spouses after they died. And and you know maybe a quite a few uh, maybe a majority of them were Republican that doesn't that doesn't wash, it uh, I'm, I'm I'm just uh, I'm I'm very concerned with with uh, with really I I would say maybe the next eighteen months within the GOP uh, and and how they deal with it and what are the prospects of of people like uh, Brad Raffensperger uh, Chris Carr even Brian Kemp. You know, if 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 their futures are 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 dimmed this year, then I I think we are in for a world of hurt.
1: Uh, and Donna, you're going to see this battle play out throughout the legislative session, obviously again because the the uh, Purdue Kemp battle is going to force people to take sides, many of them, not all of them are going to. I assume people like David Ralston are gonna try to keep their distance. Nevertheless, you're going to see uh, Kemp and Purdue. Uh, each try to outflank each other to the right. We've already seen Brian Kemp make his showcase piece of legislation, at least in his first initiative, uh, a, a be a, a, a bill uh, that will allow people to carry guns openly or concealed without any uh, permit at all. And we're going to see other pieces of legislation, as you well know, that are going that some of which are continuing to be driven by the big lie, other election. Uh, bills are going to come forward, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, of course, the governor presented his concealed carry, uh, uh, his bill dealing with concealed carry yesterday. And then you've got other issues like the critical race theory that has divided up some people in the party. Um, uh, Speaker Walston said today he still wants to uh, look at some things. He didn't come down on one side or another. So we're going to see a lot of that during this legislative session where people are some people are just going to have to try to toe the line when it comes to uh, their allegiances on one side of the GOP or the other. And uh, so I think it's going to be interesting to see how they do that. And then you've got what what is it at least um, you've got at least a dozen People who are here at the Capitol, be here at the Capitol, who are running for higher office. So they will be jockeying for a position in terms of where they stand on some of the issues. And the fear is that they're going to bring up some things that are going to force some people in the party to take sides on issues they don't want to deal with.
1: You know, Don, I'm glad you mentioned critical race theory as an issue that Republicans are going to push forward, you know, not uh, banning it from being taught in Georgia schools. Because, of course, we know that that critical race theory isn't taught, at least the formal version of it, in schools in uh, Georgia. It's a graduate level college uh, 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 discipline. But. It also plays into what Leo's talking about, because in some ways, critical race theory, teaching of that, is a code for don't teach our kids that their great-great-grandparents were slaveholders, uh, were bad people who kept other people captive. It's, it's a denial of, of, of history through a racial perspective, Donna.
0: Yeah. And as um, as Leo pointed out and Jim, too, that it is it is a way of trying not to recognize the change in diversity in this country. And of certainly what we've seen happen in Georgia, where we're almost fifty fifty. you know, what, what, 51 percent white at this point. I think the the census came out. So I think it is a way of um getting around all of that, um, not recognizing the changes that are taking place and making that a part of, um, of what people are, um, are talking about on a regular basis. So it, it's, it's not really dealing with the issue. It's trying to fight what is the change that has taken place by, not, um, by, by coming up with these other issues, critical race theory and, and what happened on January 6th, the big lie, all of that.
1: Um, Kevin, let, let me bring you back. I, I don't know if you were uh, able to listen when you were getting your microphones uh, situated, uh, corrected. But I, I mentioned uh, earlier in the show that, that uh, the AJC really published an, an extraordinary, comprehensive look at all of the events uh, that surrounded the big lies starting before the election, actually, and taking us all the way through the present time. Um, if By the way, we're going to post a link. Uh, To that article uh, uh, on our website on our social media platforms Kevin What did you learn that you hadn't already known or what what did you take away? What are the big takeaways as you looked at that whole year's worth of reporting? Consolidated in this long two parts uh, piece Yeah, we've lost you again Kevin I'm sorry, we've lost you again. Okay, Uh, I'm back back here, I think There you go. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, go ahead. Um,
2: I'm sorry about these problems. I apologize to you and the audience. Uh, I think what we learned was that, A, Mm. there was a concerted effort in Georgia by people to help former President Trump get his way. There was more going on behind the scenes than we realized, and there were people— who in important places and important positions, who appeared completely committed. There was a secret meeting to try to develop a set of electors to give a lawsuit better standing. It was very shocking stuff to bring all this together and realize that here we are in the uh, one of the most important states in the union, a state that will absolutely be key to the politics of the nation for the foreseeable future. And we had people who were willing to throw out the election results in this state for the sake of the big lie. Um, I want to
1: take a break in a couple of minutes and then move on to talk about Johnny Isaacson. But before we do that, let me give each of you, starting with you, Leo, just a chance to sum up on this one year anniversary what you think about where we're headed. I, and I'll tell you why I ask that. I heard powerful words from the president today. I saw the powerful essay by Jimmy Carter. Um, but, But my concern is I don't quite see how anything is going to turn around the toxicity, the extraordinary partisanship. It feels to me like they really are all just words, sincerely spoken, but not sending us in a better direction. Leo and then Jim.
3: Yeah, my concern is as alarmed as both uh, President Biden saying they want rule or ruin, or as President Jimmy Carter said, they want to win at any cost. Um, and and, and, and the, re- the answer is to yes. Um, yes, because they feel their form and their ideas of democracy are are threatened, that these are real issues to the people who are supporting Donald Trump. They have learned these things Um, mostly through manipulation and misinformation. So when you look at structural issues in democracy, which includes media, journalism, capitalism, and the influence of capitalism, that we don't have really a shared capitalism like it it could ideally be, that we have sort of a monopolistic type of capitalism. All those things are are making a lot of people have distrust of governance, of capitalism. We've got to deal with those root structural issues that impact the way people manipulate democracy. And then we can have a more uh, virulent virulent, and we can have a a resilient democracy when we deal with those underlying issues from race to capitalism to how we actually educate people. All of that is important.
1: Jim, let me give you the last word before the
3: break.
4: Yeah, yeah, I I will tell you what, the thing that that bothers me the most is that the most ardent champion of, of, of democracy on the Republican side is from Wyoming. I I very much wish that Liz Cheney were from the South, that she had a, and that she had a larger voice. You do I mean, well, what what we're lacking here is someone on the Republican side, someone you know, maybe of a, a George W. Bush stature, some, maybe a senator, you know, a, a senator. Give us, give me a senator, a Republican senator, uh with something to lose, speaking up for democracy. And I'm not getting that. Uh,
1: um. I think that's important, and I want to point something out, Jim, that you and I talked about before the show started. Uh, When the U.S. House today paid tribute to the fallen uh, men and women, people who were either injured or killed in the insurrection, uh, and also uh, reminded us of what happened on that dark day a year ago, there was only one Republican member of the U.S. House in the chamber for that commemoration as Speaker Pelosi spoke, and that was Liz Cheney. And her father, Dick Cheney, uh, was there with her. So it it reinforces uh, exactly what you're uh, uh, saying, uh, Jim. Where are the Republicans who are gonna stand up and try to help restore us to a system based on truth and uh, fair play? Let's take our final break. We'll come back and we'll talk about Johnny Isaacson. Saxby Chambliss is speaking at the service right now. Jim Galloway, the program for the service celebrating the life of John Isaacson, now underway at Peachtree Road United Methodist Church, uh, includes in it uh, a Robert Frost poem, a, f- a very popular and familiar poem, The Road Not Taken. And the last stanza of that poem is, uh, two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one Less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. And and Johnny's wife Diane uh, wrote, Johnny chose a road less traveled, and he has made a difference in many ways. Jim.
4: Yeah, I mean, this is what we were talking about earlier. I mean, uh, uh, the, the Johnny Isaacson led a Republican Party that rose up uh, in the shadow of of of, of complete Democratic dominance. I mean, uh, the Democratic Party contained the entire spectrum of political thought in, in in Georgia at the time, from conservative, from rural conservatives to to to, to urban liberals, uh, and and uh, I mean, he he first ran for the House in '74, lost uh, out of Cobb County, won in '76, uh, and and he and he and, and Paul Coverdell, they they they. They made a they they made the Republican Party matter in the early days by by working with Democrats, specifically with working with African American Democrats, and that's how they made their 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 uh, their their influence felt. It was coalition building. Uh, it wasn't a it wasn't a winner take all system. They knew they couldn't they, that that wouldn't work for them, and. You know what? What's ironic is in in the '90s the 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 Republican Party had grown to to such an extent that it began to wander away from that philosophy. That's why Isaacson. I mean, Isaacson lost. He lost a very close race with Zell Miller in 1990, uh, in the general election. But by 1996, uh, when when he was running for the seat that Sam Nunn uh, had given up, he. The Republican Party had gone so far to the social conservatism side that he could not. He could. He he, he lost it to uh, to to Guy Milner, uh, and that he thought was the end of his career.
1: It was. It's ironic that it was Zell Miller who had beaten him badly in the nineteen ninety gubernatorial race, who re- resurrected his career by appointing him to the head of the Georgia School uh, uh, Board. Uh, uh, at a time when, the, when the schools were in crisis and it gave Johnny a chance to come back into public life. Leo, your thoughts.
3: Yeah, I'm just, uh, I cheated, uh, during the break a little bit and I listened to Saxby Chambliss, uh, sort of share a little story about, uh, that, uh, you know, Tom Colburn's been up in heaven speaking to St. Peter and he, uh, then Johnny Isaac shows up and as, as, as Chambliss says, you know, he whispers into, uh, st peter's ear and he says hey this is the guy i've been telling you about now that he's joined us you're going to get a lot done <laughs> so, so classic here. but you know for me speaking of senator isaacson look the work to not only work to make conservative ideas the conservative republican platform be one that can manifest in good governance um To do that in the Republican Party was rather difficult, you can imagine, when I was with the party uh, as an executive. And so I looked sometimes for people to give me a sense of hope and and to help me feel better about what I was doing, even as sometimes I was being attacked from all kinds of different directions for bringing in Black and Asian American and Hispanic American leadership. And at one time, I was really at one of my lowest, and I ran into uh, Senator Isaacson. And he, without me even starting the conversation, said, I know who you are. I love what you're doing. You keep doing that work. That work is really important. That was an amazing, amazing moment for me. And it it gave me a little extra energy to keep doing what I was doing. And then today, believe it or not, I left Goldberg's this morning after dropping my kids off at school. And I was walking by Tommy's Barbershop. And I was stunned at that empty barbershop chair. Where I last had my last conversation with Senator Isaacson. And again, he was talking to me about how important minority voter engagement was. That's Senator Johnny Isaacson. That is a Republican. I can own that kind of Republican.
1: Uh, Donna and Kevin, we, we all got to know Johnny Isaacson. Um, we covered him. But we also got to know him as a person, and yes, I get it. There are people who will listen to the show who think that Johnny Isaacson was just another Republican. he wasn't <laughs> forceful enough in his condemnation of Donald Trump we've heard all that and and there is something too some of that he was after all a Republican first, but he also Donna was invariably respectful of the people he dealt with as a journalist. You could ask him tough questions he never Ever got angry with you? He talked to you in a respectful, decent way. Um, there's no question that whatever else you think about him, Johnny Isaacson was truly a lovely and caring human being.
0: No, oh, absolutely. He always answered the questions. He was always very respectful. Um, you know, I've said it on the show before, and you know, and you just mentioned when he was appointed by Zell Miller to be on the, the Board of Education, the State Board of Education. As a education reporter, I work with him a lot. And I, I can't tell you that at, at least two or three times I called him and asked him to meet me for an interview. And he'd say, oh, Donna, just come on over to Northside Realty and just tell me when you're here, and I'll, I'll just walk on down and come over to the camera. And he did. And he always asked about my family. He was great. Um, he you, you may people who didn't get to talk to him personally saw him as a politician and and a, you know, a Republican politician. But when you talked to him one on one, you felt his warmth, you felt his caring, you felt you felt that he was working for you and, and not just, you know, looking past you um, when he was talking about what he wanted to do and what what he cared about, you know.
2: Bill, so when I came here uh, about 11 years ago to the AJC, uh, I got to know Senator Isaacson almost right away, and it was just a simple thing. He, I, I had an occasion to be in Washington, and I called him up, and he, he, he invited me to over to his office. And he, when you were there at his office, and I, you know, many of us had this experience, he, he acted like he must not have a single other thing to do the entire day while he was talking to you. You know, never rushed a conversation. <laughs> Um, And as we have found out, and Jim could back this up, that is a rare thing indeed. In fact, now it is a Republican talking point to refuse to talk to members of the media. It's almost as if you it's hard to get into a Republican politician's office, and I'll just leave it at that.
1: Jim, you and I had a pretty interesting experience with Johnny Isaacson uh, uh, shortly before he retired. Um, people had been after him over and over again to say, why aren't you more critical of Donald Trump? You obviously don't agree with many of his policies. And, and Isaacson was cautious about that because he wanted to try to get things accomplished. Um, but uh, you and I did an interview with him uh, on a day when his office announced to the national media that he was going to come on our show and, and make his first really critical comments of President Trump. And he did do that. But even at that, he did it as only a Johnny Isaacson would in a kind of polite, respectful way. And he ended up getting criticized for not being firmer. (laughs) Yeah, he
4: he was. He was. uh, It was. He. He was. He kept Senate decorum wherever he was, inside (laughs) or outside the chamber. And and I I hope I'm not going to be telling a story here, but I I might be. I might be breaking a confidence. Uh, In one of those interviews, he was here, and he was walking out. He was. He was. uh, He was walking out of the studio. We had finished the conversation. And and either you or I had asked him uh, if he was going to vote for Donald Trump in the next election. And he didn't say a word. Mm. He just walked out holding his nose.
1: Yeah, (laughs) That's exactly right. Uh, Well, We are thinking about Johnny Isaacson today. Unfortunately, uh, the timing is such that we're not going to get to uh, go to the service, but but we'll certainly, Stephen Fowler from GPB is there, and on all things considered, later today we'll have some of the remarks, maybe from Mitch McConnell, from Saksby Chambliss, um, but we're out of time uh, for today's show. Uh, Kevin Riley, Leo Smith, Jim Galloway, Donna Lowry, thank you so much for uh, working with us Uh, This special afternoon edition of political rewind Um, and and as we leave you today uh, I'll just repeat that uh, today We are thinking about a wonderful human being a guy who devoted his life to politics But never forgot that people are human beings Which by the way is something that Jimmy Carter said in his essay in today's New York Times We have to remember that we are all humans first Johnny Isaacson always recognized that. It's a very difficult day in many ways as we think about the insurrection a year ago, but I'm awfully glad I had this terrific group of people to help me with it. And my thanks to Natalie Mendenhall, Sam Burmistaws, Jesse Neiswanger for your work in uh, getting the show assembled for today. That's it for us. We will be back, as usual, live at 9 o'clock tomorrow morning. Uh, We're going to, among other things, talk about the sentencing uh, in the Brunswick murder case and a lot more on tomorrow. Uh, In the meantime, I'm Bill Nygut. Please take care, stay healthy, avoid the virus at all costs, wear your mask, and get your booster shot if you don't have it yet. See you all tomorrow.